0: Welcome to Working Media with Rafael Bracero. Welcome to a new episode of Working Media with Rafael Bracero. Today's guest is Austin Strauss, Director of Programmatic at Involved Media. Austin is a good friend, and actually, we've been uh, collaborating on some projects uh, in, my, uh, in my real life outside of the podcast. Uh, and he's been a a, a tremendous partner. So uh, a warm welcome uh, to Austin.
1: Thank you very much, Rafa. I really am honored to be here today and I appreciate you thinking of me and including me in in your great podcast. I'm excited and I'm very informed in the space. So I'm looking forward to all of the questions that you have and hopefully I can shed some light on some opportunities and, and challenges in the programmatic world for all the listeners.
0: Well, we are super excited to to have you uh, on the cast, and and particularly to talk about programmatic, which is uh, obviously such a such an important area uh, for for marketers these days. So, so. Um, so first of all, let's let's talk a little bit just about you personally uh, and how you came up. Uh, uh, you know, just a, a little bit about how you even got into programmatic. Uh, before we even start to talk about what programmatic is, because I think a lot of people are really uh, probably uh, not entirely uh, uh, super clear in what uh, what how programmatic is structured. But let's just talk about a little bit about your personal journey uh, into into the the industry.
1: Sure. So when I went to school in college, I had a degree and graduated from Pace University with business management. And coming out of college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do from a career standpoint. And I applied to all sorts of different opportunities, ranging from project management to on-site construction, uh, new development projects, to some other uh, tech-based organizations. And lo and behold, I found a small opportunity, which was at the time working for a very uh, independent performance based marketing uh, team. It was a group of four individuals. I was hired as a social media account kind of rep more or less. And through the first early onset, the first few months, I learned the ins and outs of Facebook and all the nuances there. And sooner than later through the likes of, uh, through the likes of the conversations that I was having both internally and externally at my my initial organization, I realized that I had more of an interest in the programmatic world. And, and what I meant by that was the technology and all of the components in programmatic, the complexities of all of those and how they talk together really intrigued me in a way that Facebook did not. I, when I think of Facebook, I, I think it's a great platform, but it, it's all really housed in one single platform that is facebook it's essentially that walled garden that everybody talks about where programmatic has so many different components and players and partners that i was more intrigued in that space because i felt like that was a real opportunity for me to learn and grow in an area that people or the general public wasn't necessarily an expert in so i felt like i wanted to know technology behind the scenes as to how things worked And I thought that alone, that knowledge alone would set me apart from a a bunch of other colleagues and folks in the organizations.
0: So, so tell us a little bit about what, so let's just kind of baseline this conversation so everybody's clear. So what is programmatic? So to me, programmatic, you can
1: think of it as real-time auction-based buying, and it can come in tons of different forms. So when you think of programmatic, the most common thing that people think of is small little banners on the side of your screen that basically follow you when you visit a website and then they show you those products that you looked at on a different website saying, hey, come back, click on this product, add it to your cart. And that's what most people think of it as programmatic buying. Now, that is entirely accurate and that is one of the many forms of programmatic. But what I found, again, through the likes of the education that i fostered at these organizations was that there's so much more to programmatic. To me, aside from the audience-based buying, there's, there's a level of strategy and marketing that, that you need to kind of deploy in order to achieve whatever advertisers marketing goals that, that may be. So it's, it's not necessarily just the buying itself, but it's deploying a strategy that fits for the medium that we are running, in this case, programmatic. So programmatic, in a nutshell, is not an intent-based medium. Nobody usually, for the most part sees a banner on the side of their screen, clicks on that banner, and then proceeds to make an action from that banner when it's the first time they're seeing something. However, on the contrary, something like Google search is very intent driven, where if a user is searching something within their browser in Google, they want to find information or want to find products related to that search. So the first and most important thing that I think a lot of brands sometimes don't necessarily understand to the fullest capacity is Programmatic is is very upper funnel for the most part. It is not something that drives an action, but it is very, very important in the media mix because it is a thought starter and it gets the audience engaged in whatever potential product or offering is really being advertised.
0: Right, and I think when we had uh, had a conversation about this early on in in our engagement, uh, we had talked about it a little bit like a layer cake, uh, particularly in in the, uh, context of like pre-roll, right? If you're looking at uh, YouTube, that's, you know, obviously those YouTube pre-roll, um, ad- 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 skippable ads, uh, are only viewable on, on that platform. Whereas with programmatic, it's, you're kind of extending, uh, that your ability to, to reach, uh, even those same customers, but just in different, uh, uh, in different areas of, of, their, of their journey online. So, of course, um, of course, the
1: only other uh, thing that I would like to add about the foundation of programmatic is that, yes, it is real time buying. It is also audience based buying. So that is really what kind of came and took the industry by storm is the, the the data component of programmatic so that unlike traditional, let's say, TV or linear buying, where you buy a specific publisher or network, and then that network skews in one uh, demographic or the other, the beauty of programmatic allows you to take data from verified and trusted data providers, such as Oracle, BlueKai, Nielsen, Lodame, et cetera, and apply that to your programmatic buy so that you're not necessarily wasting advertising space and, and hitting users that aren't relevant for your actual product. The programmatic offering, allows you to target an audience who you believe are your core customers and essentially allows for the most efficiencies in the buy because all of those ads are targeted to users who have shown some sort of browsing or website behavior that aligns with who you believe your customer is as an advertiser.
0: Right. And and, and even uh, taking it a step further, uh, you know, you can go beyond sometimes, uh, you know, you'll see on, on uh, YouTube, right, where, where you have enthusiasts uh, of different of different stripes for different categories uh is uh, the, the, how they delineate the audience where whereas with the programmatic you can actually get it to okay the, the does this person own whatever that item is uh like if they're like let's say people that are into boating. like i, I mean i i mean in, i'm into sailing but i don't own a, a sailboat right so uh, you shouldn't be marketing to me <laughs> for, right, right. For so parts for a sailboat.
1: Exactly. Right. So there's the beauty of that, taking the data a step further, there's different types of data sets where we can segment or, or really get granular in the targeting to understand if the user is interest-based, meaning they have visited websites that have content based on whatever product or, or uh, offering you have, or if they are a past purchaser of said product, right? That's taken usually from credit card or loyalty-based programs, or if they are in market, meaning they have added things to their cart on on certain uh, contextually relevant websites, or they have been either geographically seen based on their cell phone and their GPS in certain stores or regions where that applicable product or offering might be best suited for. So there's really a ton of different types of data. And it's really, again, the, the nature of programmatic is back to that planning that I talked about is finding what those relevant segments are that really make sense right so to, to to bring back to your, to your sailing analogy if we are uh if my advertiser is, is trying to market a, a $20,000 sailboat i don't think it would really make the most sense to go after users who are just interested in sailing because although those users might be relevant in the sailing uh in the sailing realm most of the time they're not going to be just shelling out $20,000 to buy a sailboat just because they like sailing more often than not they might do it as uh, an activity on a vacation, or they might rent a sailboat during during the, the season that, that's relevant for them. But if you were to take it a step further and find either past purchasers of sailboat equipment, or you were to find websites that have sailboats for sale and then serve uh, ads on those type of properties to really align your brand with more contextually relevant targeting, There's there's a few different ways to slice the targeting, which again, it makes programmatic so efficient and also so appealing to an advertiser.
0: Absolutely. If you find a $20,000 sailboat, you let me know. I'll buy it. <laughs> I, I guess uh, my, my
1: baseline for for the sailboat market might be a
0: little it's like a, it's like a car. <laughs> I love it. Uh, this is great. Uh, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the different flavors of programmatic and, and which ones are most used, and what is the kind of the appropriate context for those? So, you know, thinking about obviously pre-roll, any right. retargeting, uh, ad sure. display, uh, audio. So, 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 kind of take us through the, the 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 menu there a bit.
1: Sure thing. So, I, I first before I even jump into that, want to caveat it already by saying that each medium and programmatic usually is suited for a different purpose, depending on what other media strategies an advertiser deploys, as well as how that advertiser views programmatic in relation to the purchase funnel. So the the most plain and simple types of programmatic are kind of what myself and you already touched on, which is that display banner that follows you on a website or in the most other common sense, those pre-roll videos, which is an example of that would be, if you were to go on, uh, let's just say cnn.com and you wanted to watch a short news clip before the, and, and then under that news clip was that article, there'd be a 15 or 30 second ad on cnn.com, which is also a, it's called a pre-roll, meaning it comes before the actual content of the ad. So that and and display are probably the two most prominent types of uh, programmatic. Another very popular type that's still computer and a uh, mobile device focused would be native. Native is something that matches the look and feel of the, of the actual publisher's website. It's usually coded within the publisher's website as opposed to formed through the IAB standard ad slots on that publisher's website. And that's usually something that drives a higher engagement rate because it's usually a little bit more clickbaity and the captions or the pictures are a little bit more subject to an action. So I would say for an advertiser, if the ultimate goal is to drive as many uh, users to the website, you typically see CTRs on native that are exponentially higher than that of display. So I would say from a, that really covers the basis of the computer screen itself and the mobile device, right? So you have display, native and online video. Now, sometimes people kind of think of programmatic as as just a computer, but in, in reality, it actually stretches much further. What's been extremely popular over the past year, because we've all been in quarantine and we've had a ton of time to sit home, has been connected TV. So when you think of connected TV, you might ask, what is that? And the simplest form, that is any of the ads that you're seeing on Roku's, any of the ads that you're seeing on Hulu's, any content that you're seeing from an advertising perspective on your smart TVs, taking it a step further, any of the content that you're seeing on your video game consoles, right? If you have an Xbox or a PlayStation and you're streaming Disney Plus or you're streaming, again, a Roku or a Hulu from your Xbox or PlayStation, that is all connected TV and that is all programmatically purchased. So the nature of programmatic buying extends from the TV and, uh, excuse me, extends from the computer and mobile device onto the big screen in your house. And what's beautiful about that is it really, gives an advertiser the ability to reach their user across all of the devices and all of the screens within their house. Now, it doesn't even stop there. Programmatic also extends into the streaming audio space. So all of those lovely ads that you hear over the Spotify's and the Pandora's and the iHeart's of the world, those are all also programmatically purchased. And the last but not least, what is the, the newest form of programmatic advertising? Digital out of home. So all of those traditional billboards that you would see when you're driving on those highways, they're now becoming digital. So there is no more regular billboards that someone has to take the graphics off them and put a new graphic up. Those are soon enough going to be obsolete. All of these companies are transitioning those billboards to be digital. It allows for additional monetization for those uh, those said advertisers, like the clear channels of the world, where they can quickly upload and download and swap out new images and new advertisers with a, a snap of their finger. And again, that is all purchased programmatically. And what's great about all of that is I can purchase every single medium that I just listed in one single platform, that which is called a DSP or a demand side platform. From, from a buyer's point of view, their DSP is basically their, their key to activation. That is where a buyer goes in, sets up all of their necessary campaigns, selects whatever types of mediums they're looking to target. And then from that single platform can deploy a connected TV ad on Roku, can deploy a streaming audio ad on Pandora. They can deploy a digital billboard on the I-95 in, in whatever state they desire. And it's, it's really a single use platform that allows the buying team to put into market whatever mediums the advertiser wishes in a auction
0: real-time environment. So this would be something like a trade desk would be one example of, of, of that type of platform. And and that's what, so basically this would be uh, one of the, uh, for, you know, for your agency, this would be one of your partners essentially.
1: Correct, so typically I would say agencies or, or larger holding companies that that run media have seats on multiple different DSPs. Now that's not to say they might not prefer and and primarily use one over the other. However, there are tons of major DSPs out there the Trade Desk is, is one of the biggest. Obviously Google is also one of the biggest. There's tons of other ones, such as Amobi has their own platform. Adobe has their other platform. There is one from AppNexus, which has rebranded to call it Xander's platform. Verizon has their own platform. And the list goes on and on. And I, I could be here from now until next week and a blue in the face talking about all of the different DSPs. But what is important is that no, not all DSPs are equal. And I, I mean that in a few different ways. First and foremost, some DSPs have proprietary offerings or integrations that other DSPs don't have. So again, for example, and without sounding biased one way or the other, some DSPs might have some integrations with, let's say, footfall measurement, right? So if an advertiser is looking to measure the effectiveness of their media and relate it back to, let's say, in-store visitation, one DSP might partner with a in-store visitation partner more easily or more seamlessly than that of another DSP. So if the advertiser wanted to measure that and gauge the success of their campaign off of that, we as the agency or buying team would probably say, hey, advertiser, we wanna use XYZ DSP because they have this integration and it will allow us to close the loop much more easier than if we were to select a different DSP. So that there's definitely some Nuances to the DSPs themselves. And that's more from an integration perspective. Obviously, there are tons of nuances as it relates to the UIs of the DSPs. When you log into a DSP, for the most part, it looks fairly similar, right? You have your advertisers listed, and subsequently within those advertisers, you have your campaigns and your strategies. But every time you look at a screen from a DSP to another one, they don't look the same, right? Some DSPs might have more visuals on them, some might be more data-focused. And at the end of the day, it it really comes down to some are easier to use and set up than others. And that's just due to the nature of the engineering team that's that's behind those DSPs, right? I think what sets DSPs apart are really two things. The ease of access that the buyer has to all of these tools that I kind of mentioned, whether that be third-party verification or measurement. And then also time it takes, and ease of use of the, and functionality of that said DSP. So there's, it's really a sliding scale. And I believe some people like the e-marketers of the world, they, they publish these things every year of like best DSPs. And it's kind of like a uh, it's like a quadrant, if you will, like a big square. And there's an X and Y axis. And like on one of the axes, it's like functionality. And the other one is like pricing and, and i'm just making things up but essentially each dsp every year tweaks their 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 mechanics and their uis to kind of try and get higher and higher up on that scale and a lot of the dsps adopt practices and and technology from the other ones because they need to keep up it, the technology is forever changing so it's extremely important to stay relevant in today's market and the craziest thing is what's relevant this week may become obsolete and outdated in a month from now because some new cool technology is, is, is happening. So that's it's a constant battle for the DSPs and the organizations behind the scenes to appease the advertisers and the buying team, knowing that there's always something new and better out there than what they currently offer. So I think DSP selection is something that's possibly overlooked a lot. I would say from my experience and from what I've heard in the organization, I think a lot of the larger, org, uh, larger holding companies and and independent agencies, sometimes exclusively look at pricing for DSP selection. And what I mean by that is every DSP charges a fee to use that platform. Of course, it's not free to advertise media on these platforms. They, they charge it as, as part of what is the advertiser is paying, which is a CPM, meaning cost per 1000 impressions. So some DSPs can charge as little as two to 3% for an advertiser to use their DSP. Other, adver- other DSPs, excuse me, may charge north of 10 to 15% to use the platform. And I think a lot of times these larger organizations have strong ties with a certain DSP because they hit spend thresholds that require or that allow them rather to get a reduced fee. And although that is important, at the end of the day, most of the DSPs bake the fees into the, that media cost. So as an advertiser, it's sometimes hard to decipher Hey, did that price to win that auction really cost me $2, or did it cost me $1.96 and the DSP charged me 4% for that? So it's 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 a little bit of a game. And there's there's some things that the DSPs are passing back now from transparency purposes and, and through other fancy protocols that I, I don't necessarily need to go into right now for the purposes of keeping this a high-level conversation. But I think it's it's to circle back, it's sometimes overlooked on. What is the best DSP from a functionality and from a advertiser's objective, rather than just necessarily focusing on the cost to use that said DSP?
0: Right. Now, uh, I wanted to just uh, touch on something that you mentioned. So, obviously, it, it, the it, it's ever it's an ever changing landscape in terms of the, the things that that uh, that are important for for both uh, the agencies and, and the the clients. Uh, so th- something like for instance um you obviously um there's a big iOS change coming which, which is going to you know profoundly impact attribution metrics right uh and now th- is that something that that uh, gets um discussed at at uh, at the level uh, of the DSP or the agency and how potentially that can be uh so you can still get uh, and obviously keeping in mind obviously that 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 programmatic is more of a higher funnel. So not so much on the conversion side, but still uh, it, it, we're going to have more uh, difficulty tracking down uh, to different uh, post actions down, down the funnel uh, because of some of these changes that are coming up. Is that something that's been discussed in the industry lately?
1: Yeah. So that, that's a great point. And the, and the iOS shift to 14 has really brought to light, um, again, kind of what I'm saying or, or circling back to what I've just said about the ever-changing environment and always keeping up because something like a cookie that people have been using for countless years in the advertising industry are all of a sudden going to be outdated, like, like so with this iOS 14 rollout. I would say that the likes of social media and, and search, specifically social for the point and the arguments of this conversation, we Facebook obviously takes a stand on things which now is going to make advertisers sitting inside Facebook ad manager harder to close the loop on attribution from an iOS perspective. That said, the DSPs on the programmatic side, at least the ones that I usually favor, have taken their own position and and kind of ensure that as the advertiser or as the buying team, we will be covered so that when the world goes cookie-less, there is already a solve for that. And essentially what that means is a lot of these DSPs have their own device graphs, right? And what the hell is a device graph, you might ask me?
0: A device graph. Yeah,
1: what the hell is, is a device graph? Right. <laughs> I, I was I was hesitant. I realized that. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said that, but you know what is a device graph you mentioned. That's to key, you up, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a device graph essentially is a way for some sort of data provider, let's just call it a data organization, to essentially map users to what we can call a graph. And it's think of a graph as a map of the United States, and each individual has a unique identifier that's tied to some sort of household or devices within the household that doesn't necessarily have to be cookie based. So that when an advertiser is looking to target, let's just say moms, for example, if cookies were to expire tomorrow, these DSPs have enough data from their device graphs to basically say, okay, this user's cookie that was a mom matches our device graph idea of, one two three 2, 3, X, Y, Z, so that now the targeting won't be on the cookie level, it will be on a device graph level. So it's important for all of these DSPs, as well as a bunch of in-house data teams and respective agencies to develop their own device graphs. Because if you don't have a, a connection to turn a what was a targetable cookie into now a, an ID of some sort, you're going to lose that ability to reach users from a third-party data perspective. On the flip side, this has also forced the advertisers to strengthen the likes of their CRM and first party data because that is, as everyone knows, their core customers, whether that be retargeting campaigns through pixel based actions or whether that be sales lists from email, uh, sorry, email lists from sales transactions that the stores have taken off their receipts from their POS system. So it's important now more than ever for these advertisers to hold on dearly and to build out and segment a robust first party data system so that they can deploy either that data in in targeting moving forward or build lookalike audiences based off of their data segments to find users again through the device graphs either from the DSPs or their independent device graphs, finding users that exemplify similar shopping, purchasing, browsing behaviors to those of their first party users.
0: That's very. That's a very interesting approach. So, that, uh, and that's obviously a, a differentiator for uh, programmatic players versus, uh, you know, like, like you said, if you're uh, advertising on Facebook, it's uh, it's going to be a little bit more challenging. Yes, I, I know I, they're solving for it, but it's still you're still gonna at the end of the day, you're still going to get less data.
1: <laughs> yes, no, totally. I mean, I, I we do a lot of uh, cross channel marketing for our advertisers, so I am more often than not on client phone calls with um, the head of another department, let's just say social. And, and I hear these people talking about the challenges that they're now facing because of these iOS 14 uh, updates and, and how things are going cookie cookieless. But again, Facebook has taken their own stand. I don't want to sit here and tell you what I don't know because I am not the most well versed on Facebook. However, I do know that it is becoming increasingly more challenging for our uh, advertisers and, and subsequent buying agencies alike to close the loop on things like purchase-based behavior and, and targeting in, in those garden, uh, those walled gardens, such as the Facebooks of the world. Right.
0: very good. No, that, that's a, that's very good uh, information for, for our audience. Um, okay, so switching gears a little bit. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, more about your agency uh, where, where you're a director of programmatic. So Evolve Media, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, your agency. I know they're New York based, obviously. Uh, but, but give us a little bit of, of flavor uh, as to what the agency is about, uh, h- how they're structured, uh, what kind of clients uh, you're usually uh, working with. Um, and then we can kind of go a little bit more into that. Sure
1: thing. So Involved Media was actually first founded as a social media, Facebook first, or Facebook focused uh, buying agency. They were actually one of the 10 Facebook early adopters, which means I think they were part of that that group of ten uh, ad adver- uh, agencies. Excuse me, that were allowed access to Facebook Business Manager, and what that got them was to be uh, a certified Facebook marketing partner, as well as uh, give them the ability to have all of these cool new Facebook features and uh, creative type of units before the general public. So we still have that. And we pride ourselves on that kind of Facebook legacy business that I think was fostered. I it, it predates my uh, my arrival to Involve Media. However, I believe it was something like ten years ago. I would say, give or take. But I, I don't don't want to be misquoted on that. However, Involve Media then. Was acquired by what is now my parent company called Active International. And Active International, without going into too much detail, is the largest independent corporate barter company in the entire United States. And we also have global, um, we have global offices that that really are in, in every continent and every major touch point. But keeping things in the US, Involved Media was acquired by Active International, I would say, probably with the likes of seven or eight years ago. And at that time it was a social first and social exclusive agency. After Involve, um, after active acquired Involved Media, active then acquired the company that I first started for which was that programmatic performance uh, organization and they merged us. So Involved Media began to be, uh, to be form a multi-channel type of agency which had the Facebook group already there. And then they brought on the programmatic performance side. So at that time when it first came on was about six years ago. And it was at that point a social and programmatic agency. A year after that, they did another acquisition and acquired another small search-based agency and they housed them all together. Now we sit in one nice New York City office. We are involved media, which is a full three-channel offering covering search, social, and programmatic. And we do all roll up into active international now so you
0: guys are you guys in midtown we're in, in yes our offices is
1: on 31st and 5th it feels like an eternity ago since i've been there because we've all been from home <laughs> but I, I do miss that office dearly it, it was a great spot we actually moved within the past two years prior to the pandemic so it was nice to to get some some new office space and, and i look forward very much to being back there now I kind of forgot what you asked me about other than that, to be honest
0: with you. So so the the other question uh, related to that is what kind of uh, clients uh, do you typically have? Um, And then, uh, and then relatedly, what is the the most successful use of of programmatic that you've seen with a client uh, so far uh, during your tenure? uh, So
1: involved media has essentially two facets to their business. Being that we are a subsidiary of active, Involved Media can be thought of as the execution arm for all of Active and Active's respective clients. So whenever Active's clients call on the Active teams and says, hey, I have either a programmatic, social or search campaign that I need to run, Active would call on Involved Media to do that execution. Now, Active's clients range across the entirety of the ecosystem. I would say we have some of the biggest CPG retail, e-commerce, hospitality, aviation, D 2 C. And again, I can't, um, because of the nature of how barter works, everything is a little more privatized. So I'm not, I don't have the ability to relate to you all of our clients, but they, they really span from all verticals. And I would say they are, most of our clients are, are the top 10 biggest of each vertical. That said, There is then also the other side of involved media, which is treated just like any other independent agency. We have a sales team that goes out and pitches our offering for full cash business, where if it's a new or smaller brand or a medium to larger size brand who needs some sort of buying team or buying expertise, we would go out, try and win that business, and then have our team of traders, whether that be social search, programmatic, or a combination of the three, execute, report, optimize, and provide insights for that set campaign. Now, I think it's great to have both sides of the business, first and foremost, because it, it gives optics for me into the whole world of barter and the big, big corporation of Active International. But then on the other side, we have a more startupy vibe on the cash business with with uh, the sales team going out to try and secure smaller brands and, and really grow with the brands. And I think some of the best success that we've had was with smaller cash based brands, because when we grow with a brand it is first and foremost, extremely gratifying to, to, to win with a brand. But that is really where you get the big budgets because the brands trust you and they attribute their growth directly to your marketing. So again, one of our larger clients on the cash side, so it's wheels up. Wheels up obviously is in a little bit of a different spot now, again, because of the pandemic and how everything has unfolded. But I would probably say, let's call it five years ago when we first launched them, we were doing a mix of, programmatic and social media. They were on the smaller side of things. They didn't make any of their major acquisitions that they had today. And, and unfortunately, it's, it's slipping my mind who their most recent acquisition was with. But the, just from a budgeting perspective, we were spending, I, I, I'd, be, I'd say maybe $10,000 a month on the high end in the very beginning. And over that course of that year, the budgets scaled fairly fairly tremendously. And then through the likes of the following years to come, as the organization continued to succeed, and as the media that we were running was directly tied to a lot of their success, again, because they were tracking things that were entirely digital. So we were really able to show, hey, we served ads to user XYZ, then user XYZ proceeded to go to your website, find out more information and request a quote to join their their Wheels Up Club. They, they really saw the success that we were bringing. And of course, prior to the pandemic, things were in a great spot. So I think that there's a ton of opportunity working with smaller brands. And I think a lot of agencies don't necessarily take the time to spend their employees' resources working with these small brands, because at the end of the day, it's the same amount of work for for a buying team to launch a campaign for $5 (laughs) that it is to launch a campaign for $50 million, right? You still have to set everything up the same, you still have to tag and report on everything the same way. So I think a lot of times or oftentimes, agencies and, and buying teams overlook smaller brands because the, the budgets and, and the they can't say from a resource allocation standpoint, it's worth their while. However, on the contrary, There's so much potential there where, like I said, you can take a brand that's spending pennies a day and exponentially grow them to be one of the the most scalable clients you can ever have. So I would encourage agencies and and smaller buying teams to always, always, always think about and and find cool new brands that that are really just getting their, their feet wet in the advertising world, essentially showing them the expertise that you can bring to them. Then delivering on that expertise will pay off in, in ways that you cannot imagine.
0: That, that's very good advice. I think. Um, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about what your thoughts are on the future of programmatic. Uh, we already did touch on um, some of the issues related to attribution, but but uh, you know, looking kind of kind of put, putting your wizard hat on, what 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 are your what are your thoughts on on where programmatic is going?
1: So. Attribution, I guess aside, because I, I would before I answer the where programmatic is going. I think in the world of attribution, one of the biggest challenges that I face as a let's call myself an agency is education. Right? I think a lot of a lot of clients are are very used to attributing media in a certain way, whether that be first click, last click, or, or something of the sorts, and they don't necessarily want to see or or are willing to spend the money on resources to allow them to see the full funnel attributions uh, offering, whether that be showing multiple touch points or showing how one media, if that media uh, gets to that user first, you can see XYZ return on said media. So I think the attribution in and of itself comes down to a lot of lack of education and unwillingness for advertisers to adopt new attribution systems. That said, A lot of companies like Google are making it, or trying to make it easier and easier for advertisers to really understand the value of the attribution without building out their their entire attribution system, right? And taking that one step further, there's new companies these days that are even taking offline metrics and tying that to attribution too. So there's, there's tons of attribution tools and resources out there, but I would say the hardest or most frustrating part for me would be trying to get advertisers to understand, adopt, and recognize the value that each media plays in the funnel of the user as they complete the journey from either awareness to to purchase. That said, putting attribution aside, I think programmatic is is going to be with us forever. I know it's, it's not fairly new anymore. I think the buying style has more or less stayed the same as it relates to audience-based real-time buying. I just think it's going to soon enough extend to other verticals that we we can't even imagine yet. Perhaps those verticals haven't even broken through to us as as consumers. It could be new technology that's going to be around in 10 years where audience-based buying and targeted media and finding these efficiencies are never going to go away. And if you look at any statistic you see on programmatic, it is an upward slope about dollars and advertisers putting money into that type of spending so i think programmatic is obviously going to evolve as any other tech product or offering does just because of the new cool more updated tech that will um out will will eventually be in the market but programmatic as a whole is is here to stay And, and the dollars if anything have came to light this year specifically with the pandemic programmatic has hit an all-time high, specifically in the connected TV space. People are streaming content way more than they're watching linear cable. Cable subscriptions are declining. CTV is going through the roof. And again, I think that's just one simple area of programmatic. But in a whole, programmatic is, is going to be something that advertisers are always going to look to because it allows them, first and foremost, transparency into what they're getting. Right, You're not buying any sort of black box where you're giving a publisher or a media company a million dollars and then they say, okay, we deliver that million dollars. Here's a report. Programmatic allows an advertiser to go in behind the scenes, see how much the media is costing them, allowing them to target specifically exactly what they want, testing creatives or testing different audiences in a way that makes the, the, the offer, not the offering, makes that makes their advertising dollars work harder. And for that, I think programmatic is is here to stay just because the the concept of of auction based real time is something that I I first and foremost think is, is fair, but also something that's hard to necessarily duplicate in a way that's going to be better. Again, yes, there's going to be probably some sort of iterations of what programmatic means, but but even so how how things change from first to second price auction like there's going to be slightly nuances to that. However, Programmatic, we should all grow to love because at the end of the day, advertising is going to be flowing programmatic more and more as as the advertisers and brands jump on board with the success that is being seen in the programmatic space.
0: Right. The trackability and really the performance, I think, it is, is really uh, the proof in the pudding. And, and I think programmatic is is definitely showing that. Well, I think you
1: can attest to that as well, right? I sure. believe that uh, your, your organization
0: does a fair amount of programmatic and I'm, I'm happy to
1: see that the successes that we've had collectively or independently are, are something that you feel strongly about as
0: well. Absolutely. So uh, this is something that I ask uh, all my guests uh, when they, they come on the podcast. Uh, what, what, are, what is something that you have uh, read, uh, seen, or listened to recently that, that inspired you that, that you like to share uh, with our audience?
1: Is this programmatic related or is No, this no, it doesn't
0: have to be programmatic related. Could be anything. Could be a movie, could be an article, could be a book.
1: Oh man, what did I see lately? Well, whew, this is a, that's this one caught me off guard. I would say. <laughs>
0: Wait, it's supposed to.
1: <laughs> I, I personally am very into art. I love going to museums. I love going to galleries. And I, I would encourage anybody in the New York area to check out any of the more modern contemporary galleries that uh, I mean, I'm i happy to list them off. But personally, there's, there's tons of exhibits out there. I, I encourage everybody now that the weather is getting nicer and vaccina- vaccinations are rolling out more abundantly to safely go check out some art, enjoy the scenes, appreciate the artist's worth, and, and really sit there in front of a painting, a picture, or a statue of whatever sort of art you're admiring and, and think about what it means to you. I find it very meditating and, and it's very calming for me. I almost look at it as my place of escape. When, when I have a stressful day or I'm dealing with something and I want to really clear my mind, I find myself going to, even if it's a, an open installment outside somewhere in a public space rather than an actual gallery or a museum, but sit down for a second, try and clear your mind, stare at something that is intriguing or, or really engages your your, your optics. And and let, let all the stress kind of alleviate from, from yourself. So if anything, if I could say that to, to any of the listeners, enjoy art, embrace it. I, I, it's really been a newfound passion for me over the few years. i never thought I would turn into this person. And it's taken me by storm, just as kind of programmatic has taken the, the advertising world at storm. That's, that's uh, fantastic.
0: I, when I, 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 I used to live in New York, right? And uh, so I, I did investment banking there for about five years. And I would love to go to the MoMA, to the Whitney, which who was first uptown and then he moved downtown. Um, and you know, that's a fantastic uh, venue for for art. Um, and and then obviously the Guggenheim, which uh, I mean, that's really at the inception of, yeah, no, there's, of modern, there's I mean, it's just incredible. Now, are these are these museums, oh, are they reopened now or what's- uh, To my knowledge, they, they are open. In, in what
1: capacity, I can't speak to it. I imagine it's some sort of limited, however, the few uh, museums that I have been to recently over the past few months, I haven't really had any issues. I felt completely safe. I don't feel like there was a sense of overcrowding. So I believe that for the most part, at least
0: in the museum and
1: gallery world, they're taking the necessary precautions to keep everyone safe, which is first and
0: foremost. Well, that's good. I think this is what you just suggested is a great tease because one of the things that that I, what are my next shows is going to be on on NFT uh, collectibles, right? So oh, non-fungible tokens. Yeah, so that's. I mean, obviously, that's really hot right now. With uh, Sotheby's uh, just uh, doing a, a record uh, auction, uh, I think yeah. sixty-five million dollars for one piece of artwork, which was they actually one artist so art doing one, one, uh, one piece of art every day for ten years. So yeah. something very unique. Uh, I actually just bought my myself bought a uh, a NFT not for sixty-five million, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, on on crypto recently. So it's it's a really fascinating area. And it kind of uh, layers into all this uh, area with blockchain, and and uh, so yeah, so th- it's uh, just the integration of art and, and tech is uh, interesting. So it's a very appropriate uh, <laughs> record that, that you gave us. So uh, very cool. Um, well, th- this has been great. Let me ask you this, Asim: How can people reach out to you uh, if they if they have questions about Programmatic or you know about careers in the field or anything like that? What's the best way to uh, for them to reach out to you or, or and also to involve media?
1: I would say the best way is probably through LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm happy to to provide my name or, or LinkedIn profile, but if you just type in Austin Strauss involved media, I'm sure it's going to pop right up on LinkedIn. Um, there's my email addresses on there. You can send me a direct message. I'd be happy to engage in any sort of conversation, programmatic, art, or otherwise, to really Take this conversation or any of the conversations that we've had further and, and build out a more robust plan or, or really just gain an education or understanding of something else that somebody wants to talk to me about. So I do encourage you to check us out. You could go to InvolveMedia.com. You can go to ActiveInternational.com. You could find me. You could find another member of my team. We're all here to help. And we are more than happy to provide our insights and our expertise to any advertisers who may be listening as well.
0: Well, this has been a master class in programmatic. So, really, thank you for, for being uh, our guest today. Uh, it's been really fun uh, to chat about, uh, in a really rangy way, about uh, programmatic and, and other things. So, uh, just uh, thank you. Thank, thank you so much for, for being with us. Rafa, it has been my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: I cannot wait to see what is next on the world of podcasting for you. So, I applaud <laughs> you in advance.
0: Thanks again for the time. And I wish all the listeners farewell. Thank you so much. And as always, remember to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, uh, thank you for listening, and then stay tuned for the next episode of Working Media with Rafael DeSantis. Thank you guys.